podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to a special midweek episode of the Right in the Gary Kelly's podcast. On today's show, we're going to take a look back on the Newcastle game. We're going to dig a little deeper into the San Francisco 49ers investment um, that's been announced this week. We'll give you a chance to win a voucher for the Terrace in our mystery voice competition. And we'll wrap up with a good old game of Guess Who. On today's panel, we've got both Matt's with me. So Matt BB and Matt M. How are you doing, guys? All good. Yeah, doing really well, Vicky. Thanks. a trip up to St James's yesterday so I was come home with all three points thankfully a big win given our recent form and results I think uh, but Newcastle didn't make it easy for us did they or should I say we didn't make it easy for ourselves it was it was it was a classic game of two halves we had 45 minutes of Bielsa ball and uh, 45 minutes of something not recognisable as football but yeah we, we didn't help ourselves no we just seem to seem to make teams look good as well don't you think because like People were coming away from it saying, oh, Newcastle looked like they had a bit about them and, and um, you know, they've been absolutely dire for quite a while now, haven't they? Bless them. So, yeah, it was it was interesting. It was, um, like you say, it was a, a tough game to watch at times. You know, we made it harder than what it should have been, but you've got to look at the two. The two goals were absolutely outstanding and you put that in any game of football and you'd be absolutely applauding it left, right and centre because... It was absolutely class, and how cool was Jack Harrison on that second goal? Like cool as a cucumber, wasn't he? All the time in the world, it looked like, didn't it? He really, really was one of those picky spot type moments, and the uh, that that sort of impudent, sort of off the laces type of thing. Like, you just love that, don't you? He looked he, me. Look, he looked like he was uh, ready for bed after he scored, though. He just looked exhausted. I thought. Yeah, he kind of like run himself into the ground to get there, I think, hadn't he? And then I think he was just really yeah. grateful to see it go in the net. Yeah. Although if I'm a Newcastle fan, I'm I'm pretty annoyed at the defending for that goal. I watched it back this morning and when they get when Jack gets the ball, I think they just assume that he was gonna cross it because yeah, the two closest that. defenders made no effort whatsoever to get anywhere near him. No, they didn't. They just dropped holes, didn't they? Completely yeah. dropped holes. I think what it Lascelles, I think he cut into the middle, didn't he? Expected like a ball to whip in in in, in the in the centre of the box and I think is it Lewis or oh, sure mm. I think it one of them two yeah you're right they just completely dropped dropped um, dropped their heads didn't they and just allowed it to happen but like Matt said he had all the time in the world great finish and don't take away Rafinha's as well like you know a lot's been said about uh, Rafinha Rodrigo and, and Harrison last night all three were absolutely outstanding yeah I mean I, I, and I think if you, I, I saw a sort of bit of this on Twitter that um, Sam Maximan really impressed me in the Newcastle side if I'm not going to say when because that would be cruel but if Newcastle were to get into trouble I'd say someone we should look at you know so, so they do have still some good attacking players in, the, in their side you just wonder if, if they got a decent manager 
if they could do something a bit more impressive than what they were offering up in the first half. But yeah, defensively, they just they offered nothing. Um, and speaking to my lads last night, they asked me, are, they, are we the two worst teams in the Premier League before it? And but I should point out they're, um, they're seven and nine. I said, no, no, we are far more so far superior to Newcastle, thank you. You wouldn't have known it in the second half, would you? No, I mean, it was a bit more of a battle in the second half, wasn't it? But uh, one of my colleagues is a Newcastle fan and... I think by the sounds of things, they're just really frustrated because, like you say, they've got quality. And if it was the right manager coming in, then they probably could get something decent out of them. But I think playing them, we've probably timed it right just before Steve Bruce gets the hook and they get someone in that knows what they're doing. Gary Monk's free, isn't he? Is he still available? Oh, he's still allowed in football. Big name become available in uh, from from a certain London club as well, hasn't it? I wonder, wonder how many weeks he lasted at Newcastle. That's true, that's true, wonder. Um, Diego Llorente back into defence last night for all of eight minutes, I think it was, before he was feeling his hamstring. Poor lads cannot catch a break, can he? Um, Bielsa was saying in his post-match presser that he's concerned how another potential long-term injury is going to affect him mentally. But I guess from a team perspective, is it strike back into that starting eleven and a youngster on the bench? Yeah, it's got to be, hasn't it? I feel really sorry for him, actually. We, we, we did an article on writinggarrykellys.com. Lorente uh, is effectively the new signing that we've we've needed this this January transfer window. You know, obviously he's only played a cameo role against Chelsea and, and that's it and a, I think a couple of under 23 appearances. So we were really excited to see him and I think a lot of the fans were because we genuinely feel he could be that kind of long-term centre-back partnership. And just to see him just kind of on his haunches, just head down, feeling his hamstring, you just feel sorry for him, don't you? Because he had a cracking game in the under-23s um, the, the other week, the, or the other day, sorry. Uh, and he, he looked like he you know, he, he could have a, a good spell in the team, but something's not right, is it? You know, I don't... Are we rushing him back? You know, probably, you could say it could, could be it could be the case, but is it is it an option where strike will come in, but do we need to strengthen in that area? I think we spoke about it Last week on the podcast, it is something that we particularly might need to look at. Berardi's back full training, uh, by all accounts. He will not be ready for Premier League football anytime soon, I don't think. So, yeah, I think we've still got that question marks over our defence. And, and with Laurenti, unfortunately, going down against Newcastle, I think we, we potentially might need to look at a, a, probably a short-term loan pull until the end of the season, I'd say. I, I, I don't disagree with any of that. There was sort of this inevitability to it, wasn't there? You you saw the your answer there, and you, you you really really wanted him to have a good game, but you had a niggling feeling in the back of your mind as we've had so often with certain Leeds players over the years who it was so injury prone that it was going to get injured. It was going to be something fairly major. He sailed through the under twenty threes game. He ran around, didn't he? Like like an eighteen year old. So you were thinking there's ostensibly nothing wrong with him. He must be approaching full fitness, and he really has been sort of cosseted by the medical team to, to sort of get back to match fitness. But as you say, you, you've seen him crumpled in a heap. I think Bielsa is right. Psychologically, it, it's going to be tough. When you're playing with an injury, it does it, it does affect you. Will we sign centre-back? No. <laughs> Will we get one on loan? No. I, I, I honestly think that uh, this is the one thing. Love Bielsa. But he would rather sort of struggle through 
with, uh, I, I don't know, a left winger or a number 10 playing at centre-half than bring someone else into his special little group. And it's um, it's just, it's really frustrating because you can see sometimes, can't you, with these, with these young lads, with Casey and with Cresswell, that it might do more harm than good throwing them in at centre-half in a competitive game. I don't think that Oliver Casey, you know, I mean, I know he, he got a lot of stick when he got skinned at Crawley, but that's more about inexperience than like a pace. He wasn't ready to, ready to turn and uh, make this, uh, his interception. And I think it, it will be a huge risk to have Casey, Cresswell, that crew sort of on, on the bench. And it, and it brings in players like Leif Davis as well, who... They're clearly really, really good at under twenty three level, but are they would they not be better served at that stage in their career going on loan to the championship or league one? So a tough one, you'd love them to sign someone, but you just get this sense that Orta and Rad Radrizane are probably terrified now about the January transfer window and probably will not use it. I think it's a, a good topic to discuss really because I mean we've been talking about it a lot haven't we that we would have expected to hear a little bit more about potential loan activity this window just given how thin we are in certain positions and how much we rely on on first team players you know obviously there's rumours of Alioski leaving us which I have on good authority is not to Galatasaray which is a nice starting point but he is coming to the end of his contract he's not signed a new one yet you wouldn't be surprised to see him go if he does, then it looks likely that Dallas would have to drop back into that left-back position. But then, you know, Dallas is our utility man that we need to cover the other positions. So it's a weird one, like you say. Bielsa does like his very close-knit team and he probably wants players in that are going to be there for the long term so that they can really buy into the ethos and not just actually learn how to play the football. But you kind of have to look at the bigger picture, don't you, and think, actually, in this instance, it might be the right decision to have someone on a short-term loan, like you say. Yeah. I mean, you don't immediately look at our under-23s and think, yeah, they're, they're the ones who need to come through now. I don't think you would immediately think anybody is is ready for the first 11. It, it, I don't know if, if, if people feel the same way. Does, does anyone else think that? I Why think not? you're right. I mean, we've I obviously had Chris on a couple of times chatting to us about the young lads that are coming through. And we've, we've asked him about who he thinks potentially would go out on loan, who he thinks are going to be the ones that start to cut through into that first team. Obviously, we've seen the likes of Jenkins make the bench a couple of times. But from a defence perspective, I, I think it's just been the case of the past few years that we're very thin on the ground. And actually finding good defenders these days, particularly youth ones that can come through our system and learn the ropes, uh, they're pretty rare. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there's a lot of noise, isn't there, about Gellhart and Greenwood. They're the ones you always tend to hear about when people talk about the under-23s. But in terms of attacking midfielders and, and just goal scorers, I, th- I think we're reasonably well served. It is that, do we have backup for Calvin Phillips? No, no, not at all. Do we, do we have enough injury-free centre-backs at the standard we need? No, not at the moment. It's paper thin. If Hoops um, sort of uh, trips over a, a Lucas A bottle on the way to the ground or something, then uh, it's uh, it's over, isn't it? You know, it's uh, you know, it's kind of a very Coops thing to do, isn't it? I think. <laughs> 
You could be enjoying a proper good Yorkshire brew in your very own Leeds United mug from theterracestore.com. With plenty to choose from, you can enjoy it even more with your very own discount code. All you have to do is fill your basket and add RITGK15 at the end to get 15% off your shop. As always, we'd love to know what you buy, so drop us a tweet at RITGK. Enjoy! Let's move on to something more positive. Um, Rafinha was last night's man of the match. Another goal in what is uh, fast becoming a lucky maroon kit for him. He's great, isn't he? And we've got an absolute steal at 17 million or whatever it was. Oh, he is. Uh, he's just getting better, isn't he? In that in that maroon kit, seems yeah. seems to definitely fancy it. It's probably similar to the Ren kit, perhaps. I'm not sure, but um, I think it were Matt B made a point a few weeks ago on on the podcast about Rafinha. Now he could potentially star in, or he's tipped him to star in the 2022 World Cup for Brazil. And I just think on current form, if he keeps doing what he's doing, then it's only a matter of time until he gets an international call up because. Like you said, £17 million is an absolute snip. We spoke earlier, Matt mentioned there about St Maximum, you know, as a potential player that you'd like to look at. And I think they'd be asking for silly money, over £50 million for a player like that. And I don't think he's any better than what than Rafinha and, and even Jackie Harrison. I think right now he's absolutely bang on form. I wouldn't dislodge him with anyone right now, them two. But going back to Rafinha, yeah, he's, he's absolutely... Head and shoulders above above anyone we've got at the moment. And he's starting to build a really good partnership with Rodrigo. And you saw that. It was evident last night against Newcastle. They linked up really, really well at times. And it's definitely good to see that they're starting to build that connection. Because um, talking to Rodrigo, we've been a few question marks. We talked heavily about him last on last week's pod about his best position, all, the, all that jazz. And, he, you know, he's struggling to get into the game. He was brilliant last night, and I think Rafinha definitely helped him ease into the game. And you know, the, the, like I said, the, the more them two play together, the more connectivity they're going to have, and the better we're going to be as a team. Because um, right now, if we continue how we played last night, yeah, I think the future's looking bright for them too. They're absolutely brilliant double acts, aren't they? I know, I know he's uh, Spanish international, but he is he is Brazilian, isn't he, Rodrigo? So uh, we call them, you know, the boys from Brazil do sort of link up ever so well, don't they? You feel a bit sorry for Bamford sometimes, don't you? <laughs> you see their sort of uh, almost psychic um, link-up play. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch, yeah. He's, he's just such an exciting player. You can see, you can you, you just watch the defenders back off when he gets the ball. It's just, it's just a, it's brilliant to watch. I was just going to say on the topic of Bamford, he obviously had a bit of an off night last night and Roberts was actually an improvement when he came on, which isn't something yeah. we've said for a while. Yeah. Um, we were chatting about this earlier, but I think when you've got so much reliance on a striker like we have with Bamford and probably he's put a lot of pressure on himself because he started the season so well, it's it's going to take its toll mentally as well as physically, isn't it? Yeah, he looked off. He looked off. The boil again yesterday, didn't he? That's a couple of games in a row now. He's been a bit, been it seems a bit lost, doesn't he? You know what, like you said, he's he's had a great start to the season, and you know we've been blessed with with his form, haven't we? In a way, and I think when when you see him as very little touches in a game and and link up plays as he does, you know we do question it, don't we? And think oh, it seems to be off off the boil and. You kind of do have that kind of holy trinity forming already with with Rafinha, Rodrigo, and Harrison because they look fantastic. And Bamford just looked like a spare part at times, didn't he, last night? But I think over time, it's you know they'll they'll, they'll click. Literally, I think it's going to take time. 
I think we're learning learning each game by the looks of things, which is which is good to see. But who would have thought Patrick Bamford be having double figures at the start of the season? Nobody did, did they? And I think, like you said, Tyler Roberts has, has surprised a, a fair few people, and, and probably myself and a couple of us guys on the podcast included, because we were we were saying he needed a loan out of the club, um, but Bielsa backed him, and uh, I think Roberts is starting to show with a few really impressive cameo appearances. Yeah, I. I... I agree again. Bamford was almost as heavy-legged as he was against Brighton uh, last night. And, and you watched him doing things that, um, well, I don't know, they, they sort of always disappoint me. And I always see it was wasted energy with strikers when he sort of, uh, he chases down the keeper to the ball to see if he can uh, nick it off his feet. And you're just thinking, oh, come on, you know. It just, it, it's, it, it almost plays like a very old-fashioned low and centre forward. And you just wonder sometimes if he's um, drifting back to bad habits occasionally. In, in context, you know, he's probably had a bad um, or, or a lacklustre two or three games. And, and you're right, not taking anything away from him. He has been sensational this season you wonder don't you and you could probably say this with a lot of the players the impact of not having fans in the ground is going to be a downer the impact of being in a lockdown situation where you can't you know go out to I don't know what footballers do nowadays well they get Nando's don't they a lot you can't get a Nando's anymore it must be a bit of a downer for your average Premier League footballer now so it, it, it might it might be part partially down to that. He might have a bit of lockdown fatigue. Who knows? But he he didn't look himself at all, did he? And when he came off, I think Vic, you said something earlier. Bielsa did almost give him a bit of a, a sideways glance that he wasn't particularly happy <laughs> with him giving the ball away in the lead up to uh, the Newcastle goal. And to say that that, that Roberts um, was a, a refreshing change really says it all in comparison and taking nothing away from Roberts at all because I think you're right, mate. He has played really well, actually, the last few times he's come on as a sub, but he isn't an out-and-out striker like Bamford. He, he, he does different things, but it just shows you how well as well, how, how our expectations have grown with Patrick Bamford, uh, that he's got into double figures and everyone had just written him off, hadn't they? He was responding to those tweets, wasn't he, at the start of the season, oh, here we go again when people are saying he's only ever scored one goal in the Premier League and he's not good enough and spend some money on a striker right now. So he's, he's overcome a lot. I, I think he'll get through it. I think he will, cut, he will bounce back. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, a part of me wonders if there's some correlation between Bamford and Click because, you know, we've been talking for a few weeks that Click's not looked himself. He's not really had the creativity that we're used to seeing from him. Um, and obviously he was dropped from the starting lineup for last night's match. Uh, came on later in the game but by that point obviously Bamford was pretty much going off as well so I wonder if there's potentially some correlation there that Bamford's not getting quite the same service or he's you know not quite the same movement from the squad that's starting whatever it might be so we put it out on um, social media for you guys to give us your thoughts on last night's match so just run through a couple of those um, Bobby Grasler says Rodrigo was quality tonight probably his best performance for us Alan says we're still not creating enough from um, against the bottom teams defenders were all over the shop with no clue and relying on the keeper too much we'll take the points but must improve Mick says we made it hard for ourselves we should have had a much easier night but three points 26 at the halfway point 14 clear of 18 
18th. A couple of wins and a couple of draws and it's job done. And Keza says, I think we can all agree that we need to sign Harrison permanently while we can. Well, I think that's probably on the radar for summer. I would hope it is. But what do you guys um, make to some of those comments? I think they're pretty much on par with what we've talked about already. Yeah, I just love the name Bobby Grasler. It's a cracking name. <laughs> I think Harrison on permanent yeah definitely I think is it 8 eight or 10 million is it we've already agreed at the end of the season be an absolute snip so yeah absolutely I think I agree with them all really I am Don Matteo and when I'm sat in the rock bar having a pine there's nothing better than reading and listening to write in the GaryKellys.com So this week it was confirmed that the San Francisco 49ers group had increased its minority ownership of the club to 37%. Uh, and 49ers Enterprises' Parag Marath has been appointed as Leeds United's vice chairman. So who better to dig deeper into this deal than our very own finance expert, Matt BB? Matt, what does this deal mean for the club, really? This is one of those deals where on the face of it, in, in the modern football world or in the business world generally, putting £65 million into a business might, or in some respects, seem like small potatoes, but it, it is so much more than that. Let's move to start with, you know, you, you want to reflect on where we were when Radrizani bought Leeds United and paid, which I think, conservatively about £45 million to Chilino to buy him out all in. If you look at what we've paid this week, then that means that his investment has gone in crikey, um, almost um, eight times the amount. And you know the, the, the club, the club is worth now close to three hundred million pounds. So when you have that sort of growth in a business or that growth in value, you can see why the San Francisco Forty Nineers want in. And in terms of what they will do, they will bring networks of finance companies. Uh, and financiers and other backers. You saw that the uh, the co-founder of YouTube is in on this investment as well. You will see as well our expertise in terms of things like social media, media and tech at the ground, um, and in terms of how they market themselves. It's that all of that expertise and all of those networks that they will bring in. I mean, if you want to sort of put it in context as well, um, the, the, the closest you can get probably to someone as big as the 49ers will be the Red Sox. And obviously, they, they, those are the guys who are behind um, the purchase of Liverpool. So it's a big, big thing for these. It's not, I mean, I think some people look at it a bit simplistically, understandably, and they say, oh, well, you know, what, £60 million? We spent £100 million this, um, this summer. But it is that expertise. It's what they can bring in terms of um, what they can do for our facilities as well. They obviously very famously um, move the 49ers away from Candlestick Park, which is their, their, their sort of historic home. Um, you know, the Beatles played at Candlestick Park, didn't they? I mean, the police did a big gig there in the 80s. I'm showing my age now. Uh, it was, um, you know, it, it's an iconic ground in itself. So that they have successfully made that transition. It, it's a big, big thing. And I'll keep saying it again. It's the expertise and the networks that a business like that brings to Leeds that makes you up to that next level. So a big, big thing for Leeds this really really needed we, we I think we've seen what we've been talking tonight about you know god should we invest in, in the January transfer window 
because we, we're not at that next level, we have to. We still have to watch our pennies. It's not as dire as it was in League One. Obviously, when we say watch our pennies, we could probably go out and spend without batting an eyelid, sort of ten million pounds on a player. But we aren't quite at that level. This would put you up amongst. I'll be very careful about what clubs are mentioned. Up amongst the Liverpools and the Man Cities, in terms of where where you sit. Uh, financially so really 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 positive and having yeah, him on the board so having, yeah have, having Parag Marath on the board day to day is also really really important if you look at the strength uh, in terms of the leadership team that will bring when a player comes to talk to Leeds United you know that they, they will get you know much more the royal treatment and that they will have that sort of expertise around contracts around allowing people uh, and players to fully monetize their own sponsorship their own their own sort of intellectual property stuff like that that expertise is there so i'm really excited about it but uh, you can quote me on that in a couple of years' time. <laughs> I think you're right, though. It's about so much more than the money, which a lot of people look at it as. It is that expertise and the kind of experience in business, I suppose, and how we make Leeds United a global brand rather than just the football club, which is obviously how, how we fans look at it. I think one thing that potentially fans may be a little bit cautious of, and you have flagged it there, that they moved the 49ers ground. Like, is there a risk of, I don't know, renaming rights? Or like you say, even actually a ground move should 49ers have this consistent increase in in um, stake in the club over the next few years? Well, of course, San Francisco has a, a number of iconic brands uh, sort of based there, doesn't it? Um, or, or nearby, Google, <laughs> uh, Levi Strauss, um, PayPal, you know, so... Is there a risk that will become the uh, the the, uh, the PayPal um, arena in in the next two years? I don't know. I mean, I, I think if I was going to say sort of look, look at the positives, Candle Candlestick Park um, was was outdated. It was it was you know it's still one of the biggest grounds in the NFL. It had that that history. It had that background, and I think yeah. I mean, I, I would not be surprised given it's such a big asset that um, they will explore how to fully realise its um, its commercial potential. But, I mean, look at the payoffs that they've had in um, in San Francisco. I mean, they have things like um, they've effectively got um, a school built into um, into the uh, into the Levi Stadium. Uh, they work with all of the, lo- the with um, the local schools and colleges, and this is. Um, I mean, I'm again showing my uh, my sort of other other side as a school governor now. But um, they they uh, they print they um, they promote science and technology teaching and mathematics there, and they do this in this in this kind of virtual classroom where famous um, 49ers players are sort of I, I don't know what on earth they're doing them. Um, Throwing, yeah, kicking a hail mary or, or having a touchdown or whatever the hell they do in the, in American football, um, in a maths base. They, they they have they have kept their place. I think what I'm trying to say at the heart of the community, but but they've delivered. Probably, I think it was until about two or three years ago when they started building all the stadium in Qatar, the world's most technologically advanced spectator stadium um i don't uh, but i think that they're not daft that i think they know that leeds united is is, is a, a powerful brand 
in English and European football. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm probably, you know, a total sellout. It, it wouldn't upset me 100% if we did have um, a renaming of the stadium if someone sponsors to do it. But I think, I fear I would be in the minority on that one. Do you think that's fair? You I think you'd probably be in the minority. <laughs> I think it goes back to that conversation of Pistol Pete Risdale's Nike Stadium kind of dream and, and plans that he had and, and, and not to in the near future or distant future sorry or, or past should I say is the Red Bull Arena under the uh, under the GFH days remember that talk we had and a lot of fans yeah. were, were up for it to be honest with you but I think you know the San Francisco 49ers have been on board with us now two or three years have they you know they'll know the tradition the values of the football club it's not like they've literally just come in and invested now and said we're going to change to a red and white kit and uh, rename the stadium. So I'd like to think, you know, that they've been around the club, they, they, they know what we are and what we're about and don't mess around with, with certain things of the club's tradition because we saw what happened when they pissed around with a football badge. So. Mm, I'm not convinced myself, you know, I think they will be sensitive to it and I think you're right, yeah. they've been around the club long enough now to know what matters to us. Mm. But at the end of the day their businessmen and I think if you know we've seen plenty of mock-ups of what Ellen Road could look like if it had the West Stand extended and everything else and it's a 60,000 seater or whatever but realistically if you can build an all singing all dancing stadium like from scratch potentially on the same plot like Spurs have done then you're probably going to do that rather than try and redevelop something that's already there and let's face it a bit of a shed is our shed but it's a bit of a shed I think that I'd like to think anyway that there's there's little risk of us moving away from Ellen Road the plot because of the plans with the new training ground and and the academy and everything else so yeah I mean watch this space but I, I wouldn't be surprised if in five years time if we've established ourselves in European football or whatever it might be, if, if there's a new ground going up on the park and ride car park. I've got a thing as well, but where, where other American companies have purchased English or UK clubs, they haven't generally renamed their stadiums. I mean, they've kept to that ridiculous theatre of dreams, obviously, haven't they? But, uh, but that's kind of obviously very inappropriate you know, over the last few years now. But it's still Old Trafford. And Anfield is Anfield. I think the only person who's ever who sort of um, who's really sort of got stuck into this sort of not not out of character was Mike Ashley, didn't he? Try and rename St James's Park the, the, something like the um, the Sports Direct Arena or something like that. I think that. it is like technically the Sports Direct Arena or something. I don't know. I think it's going to be the House of Fraser Arena next <laughs> season, is it? But <laughs> <laughs> just going back on on your point um, with with the NFL link, I think. You, you potentially, yeah, you know, it, it could Ellen Road the plot be kind of suitable for an NFL team to play, hence like Tottenham Hotspurs and and Wembley as well. But you know, if that is the case, are we going to start loaning our pitch or selling our pitch for three hundred grand for our <laughs> football clubs? You reckon? Paid for Harry Kane for a week, didn't we? Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I honestly think that's a really interesting topic because NFL is growing massively in this country and obviously they want this kind of cross-sport, you know, international fan base buying into Leeds United, the football club. But like I say, in five years, if they think it, it's worth the money to build a new stadium, you better believe that they're going to build it ready sure. for NFL games as well. They're in it for a reason, aren't they? They're in it for a reason. 100%. And, the, you know, Leeds is seen as one of the fastest growing cities outside of London and the north of the 
of England in the UK really doesn't have that NFL presence, does it, at the moment? Old Trafford isn't built for it. Anfield isn't built for it. You know, you're only looking down the London area as well, which is. So, yeah, it is, it is a, you know, a great, a good, why are they involved? And, yeah, you would you would think that is probably the long-term plan of the, the, the 49ers, hence why the, the increase of ownership that we've seen this week. In, in the current marketplace, investors, the money is still there, irrespective of what's going on in the outside world. Premier League football is one of these commodities. Even when there's nobody in the grounds, it's still making a fortune. Uh, we make it's not not the full hundred percent you would normally make, but you know it is still almost a safe haven for an investor. So you know that that will in no small part be on the minds of people like the 49ers. And I think you will you will see a lot more. I, I, I would I would hazard a guess to say that you know that they they may well want to increase their stake. I think that's that's it, isn't it? It's part of the conversation of what's the long-term plan. Is it that they buy Rads out? Does Rads stick around and still kind of run the day-to-day at the club? Is Does he take his money and run and buy another club and do the same thing? I think it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. I'd just like to think that this time round we've got the right men in, the people that, like you say, they've been around the club yeah. a couple of years and, mm. and they can be more sensitive to what matters to the fans because at the end of the day, we're the ones that spend the money, so... Sure, and and Rad hasn't made it, you know, a secret that he wants to bring on the right investors to the club. He's been open about that from day one, isn't he? So, yeah, yeah, I guess it's, we just have to wait and see. But I think the success of the team will play a big factor in what actually happens with with the 49ers. Um, and 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 like you mentioned earlier, that five year plan of getting to European football. I think yeah, it all depends on how we progress as a as a team and as a football club. Yeah, I think it was really interesting to see. Um, Chad Hurley's comments about the fact, you know, he's obviously involved in the investment group, but he just mentioned something. Someone asked him, like, if he's going to invest in X, Y and Z moving forward. And he said he's just looking at what makes sense financially at the minute. He's looking at the opportunities for growth. So for someone of that size and stature to kind of see Leeds United as an opportunity for him to make money when he's probably getting opportunities thrown at him every day, um, that can only say good things about where we're going as a club. Yeah. Totally. It, it, it goes back to so I think, you know, a club's worth forty-four million pounds three years ago and it's worth nearly three hundred million pounds today. It, it, it tells its own story, doesn't it? I mean I saw another graphic um that, that I think the squad was worth about it's hard to believe when you think back to the days of Peltier and Co. that it was even worth thirty million pounds apparently in twenty sixteen, but uh worth conservatively 180 million pounds today so they, they, they have you know to, to uh sound like the x factors and they've been on a journey haven't they and uh you know <laughs> it's, been, it's been very very interesting um how much they've grown this is a real uh, a real indictment though of what rad Rizani has built the fact he's managed to bring on an investor like this i mean i, I it wouldn't be the same unless i mentioned this old gentleman imagine ken bates um, being approached by the San Francisco 49ers, this would never in a million years have happened, would it? <laughs> so, you know. No, big improvement. Yeah. We've got a chance for you to win a £25 voucher to spend on the terrorstore.com. To enter, all you have to do is tell us who this ex Leeds United player is. I was a young lad at Leeds and 
I can remember getting off the bus thinking I've got a chance of starting here. So far, no one has got it right. So we're going to give you a clue or a couple of clues, actually. This player came through the academy and he was a defender. So to get your entry in, all you have to do is head over to Twitter and tweet us at RITGK with your answer. It's as easy as that. So time for a game of Guess Who. The rules are obviously simple. I'm going to give you three clues and you've got to guess who the person is that has some kind of historical connection to Leeds United. Buzz in when you know the answer. Before we get going, let's try out those all-important buzzers. So Matt M, this is yours. And Matt BB, this is yours. This is LUTV and we're joined by the Leeds United chairman, Ken Bates. Good afternoon, chairman. Afternoon, Ben. Afternoon, folks. So, clue number one. This player started their career at Torquay United and ended it at Garforth Town. Ooh. Pass. Right. Clue number two. This player made eight appearances for the senior England team between the years of 1991 and 1993. Ex-Leeds player? Yep. What, sorry, what year was it? 90... 91 to 93 made eight appearances for the England team, senior team. I want to point out I'm not looking at Google at this stage. Better not be. Clearly is if he's telling you. (laughs) (laughs) If I give you the last clue, you'll definitely get it, I think. So I'll give you a little bit longer to try and think about who it might be. So clue one was that they started at Torquay and ended it at Garforth Town. Clue two was eight appearances for England between 91 and 93. Oh, I know. This is LUTV and we're joined by the Leeds United chairman, Ken Bates. Good afternoon, chairman. Afternoon, Ben. Afternoon, folks. Who do you think it is, Matt B? Lee Sharp. Correct. (laughs) That's a great shout. Lee Sharp. Lee bloody Sharp. I didn't realise he finished his career at Garforth. Can I tell you what my third clue was? This player appeared on Celebrity Love Island alongside Alifest in 2005. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what he'll forever be remembered for still one of my favourite seasons that one that was yeah. so good I had no idea he finished his career at Garforth I think he maybe retired and then came back and actually it just didn't work out well I think he retired in 96 when he left Manchester United didn't he <laughs> let's be honest well that's us for this week um, a little midweek catch up for you please do leave us a review and let us know what you think and you know give us a share across social media also make sure that you enter the competition as well so you can get yourself that terrace store voucher We'll be back soon with a recap on the latest results and any transfer window comings and goings. Speak to you then. Sports Social Podcast Network.